With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to No Bad Hops, the podcast all about baseball and beer. I'm your host, Anthony. This is our season preview edition of the podcast. Last year, I took a look at all 30 MLB teams and previewed the, each of them by myself. And while, you know, drinking alone can be fun at times, it's much more enjoyable to share a beer with a friend. So that's what I decided to do for this year. So this year's uh, season preview will be focusing on fans and what they hope for for 2024 from their teams. We'll look at their off seasons. We'll talk to them about who they're excited about watching in 2024 and what they're hoping for for their favorite teams. We'll have a beer. We'll talk about some other stuff as well. So we look forward to you joining us and being a part of it. If you want to join the conversation, if one of your favorite teams is like the Kansas City Royals, please reach out to me via direct message on Instagram at Major League Brews, or you can email me at aabrew162 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to our first of our season preview edition of the No Bad Hops podcast. Uh, joining me today is Brian. He is one of the co-hosts for uh, Home Run Applesauce uh, and a Mets fan um, and one of my best friends. I've known him for, for almost 20 years now. Almost so 20 years, yeah. Pretty crazy. Um, yes. So, Brian, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Anthony. This is a, this is a pleasure for a lot of reasons. So this is the first we're starting with our se- with the season previews. Uh, we're just going to take a look at all 30 baseball teams getting ready for the start of the 2024 season. Uh, we are recording on Mardi Gras. It is the day before uh, pitchers and catchers report. Uh, so spring training is upon us and we are uh, getting ready. Baseball, you know, is is here finally uh, after a long winter. Uh, how, how have you been getting through through this winter? Um, well, the Mets season didn't end in the most spectacular of fashions, and then the Mets off season has not been the most spectacular of off seasons. <laughs> so uh, ignorance has been a big part of it, just kind of you know ignoring it. And I mean, look, I'm always excited for baseball. I I have delusional hopes about the Mets always, and so there is some of that alive. But I've been spending my time, like baseball thought wise, just trying to make sense of what the Mets have done this offseason. And that takes a lot of time and mental energy. So it's, it hasn't been as slow as you may think. <laughs> I would imagine that's like a hobby for most Mets fans at this point in, in their Met fan, in your Met fandom. So uh, you're probably not alone in that. And uh, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure the one good thing is that there's beer and, you know, yes. 
that helps get through some of the thought process. So uh, what are you drinking tonight? So I have a bit of a, of a confession to make here. So uh, just to, to, to pull the listener in behind the curtain, we found out we were doing this yesterday. <laughs> and I, as I was going home, I thought I should stop at a liquor store, but it was after 10 p.m. and my local liquor stores were closed. And then we had 11 inches of snow here in Ringwood, New Jersey. So I had to go with what was left in my fridge. And I have been sort of, you know, you go through those periods, you buy a lot of beer, and then you're drinking the beer you have. So I'm down to kind of the dregs. But a friend <laughs> of mine, I was at a party. Uh, when was that? Around Halloween time, I guess. And I had a beer. And I was like, oh, I really like this beer. And my friend was very sweet and bought me a 12-pack of it. Um, but so it's just, it's, I've been taking a while to get through it. It is the uh, Polliner Oktoberfest Martzen. This isn't working because of the visual background, but it's <laughs> uh, it's quite good. And I'm usually not an October. I mean, Oktoberfest is an okay variety of beer, but I've really enjoyed this, and so I, I've been sort of savoring them. But I recognize that on a beer show to be drinking an Oktoberfest in February is not, you know, <laughs> this doesn't make me look as 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 tuned into the beer scene as you would probably want me to look. So I mean, it's okay. I look at it like this. You know, I have things in my refrigerator. I don't even want to say, you know, I, I, I might be drinking last year's St. Patrick's Day beers in a couple of days. So it'll be eventually they're, right, they're right. back in season. Um, you just want to get right. them before they go bad. Um, I would think, though, as a Mets fan, you wouldn't want to drink so much of the Oktoberfest kind of just, you know, not being able to savor October baseball. <laughs> hey, man, look, the Mets <laughs> made the playoffs two years ago. OK, it's not, it hasn't been that That's long. That's true. That is true. And they did have that great giveaway that we went to that one day. Uh, yes. The, the Mets uh, beer stein. Uh, I, I, I don't almost, know. How... I almost pulled that off of the show, but it's so big. that It, it, would, be, it would be bad prop. I mean, I'm glad they gave them out at the end because that would just have been a disaster if they didn't. But yes. I can't believe they gave those things away. <laughs> and that That's like if you go to the Oktoberfest at Bear Mountain, have you been to that one? Uh, no, I've never been to that one. So th That one, if you buy a stein of that size, it's like a $35 stein. And the tickets weren't that much more. I, was, I think we bought a special, I think it was a special Oktoberfest ticket, but it wasn't $35 more than a regular ticket. No. No, it was definitely not, and we got that great glass, and yeah. we watched a whole baseball game, and you know, I remember out. specifically. So this is before the breweries were at City Field, yeah. uh, before, but they still had uh, McFadden's, which is no longer there, but it was it was the bar, and we and so we, we went to McFadden's, and they would fill up your stein. I think it was for five dollars was the yes. promotion, and we both got an IPA, and then realized we had to drink this giant stein of IPA. And then go and then drive home. Yes. And I think I dumped out most of my beer in the sink in the bathroom. I believe I did as well. Yeah, it was definitely it was I think it might have been Goose Island IPA to top it off. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was a bad decision. I, I mean, I, I think we regretted it the instant we like as, drank. As the first it happened. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, it was five bucks. So whatever exactly. we drank for five dollars at a base outside the baseball stadium was worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, what are you today, drinking? I have uh, some other half. I have Juice Collector. Very and, nice. An IPA. I figured I'd bust out the, uh, the Juice Collector. It's got the baseball card logo on it. And uh, Top uh, Series 1 comes out tomorrow. So, uh, you know, figure it's on brand. It's, uh, and it's very apropos for today. So Absolutely. And other half is in New York. So it's a, a New York it brewery. Is. I even have it in my uh, McKellar glass, which 
you know, I bought at the state at the brewery at the stadium back back when it was mm-hmm. there. Um, so it's got my the city field logo on it. So yeah, I mean, sure. look, we are both big fans of the Ebbs Brewery there, Absolutely. but McKellar will always be a sore spot for me. That didn't work because that was yeah. just next level at a ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I, the the baseball themed ones they had beers were were just so good too, and like mm-hmm. well, definitely well made. Um, but hey, you know it's beer, and uh, you know I'm glad I'm glad Ebbs is there. I'm glad somebody another brewery filled in that void where McKellar after McKellar left. So in the year between those two, oh, yeah, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Uh, in the year between those two, they just used it as storage for cans of hard seltzer, which felt like such a disrespectful move. Oh man, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. All right, so we're previewing the Mets. Um, yeah. You know, you already you already kind of gave us a, a little bit of a look at the uh, off season with you know not so many moves being made. Um, you know, last off season was was probably one of the best ones you could have imagined with you know the signings of Verlander um, coming in um, and just making some big moves, but it's been a quite different one this time. So, um, what what are you expecting for the Mets in twenty twenty four? Well, let me start by saying that the offseason was certainly uh, not the most exciting offseason. But I have to say, outside of the long shot of Otani and what I felt was the not-so-long shot of Yamamoto, there really weren't a ton of targets that I was looking at the offseason thinking, like, these are the players I want on the Mets next year. It was kind of a a very top-heavy offseason class. And, uh, you know, they're just – I didn't want Snell – I didn't want Montgomery. Hey, those, those are fine players, but it, this thing happens in baseball all the time where players that should be a number three starter in a bad free agent class are suddenly paid like number one starters. And I just felt like there wasn't anybody outside of Yamamoto that I really felt like this is a guy that's really worth investing a ton of money in. Now, Steve Cohen has more money than any other owner in baseball, so I should not care about the money, but I am... I am conditioned to still think about baseball in some way on a value scale, right? When it comes to it's a buying free agency. Um, and then, you know, the Mets had such a great trade deadline. They, they traded away a lot of veteran players and restocked their farm system. I mean, to an incredible degree. And, you know, some of the guys that they got in the deal looked to be major players on the Mets or another team if they trade them, you know, as soon as maybe this season or certainly next season. So there's a lot of optimism going into the off season, and it just kind of petered out, you know. Uh, Billy Epler was uh, resigned as the Mets GM for falsifying documents involving the injured list, which is a weird, weird way to go out as a as a baseball executive. And uh, Yamamoto didn't happen, and it just it just felt like every time there'd be something that maybe looked like a promising development, things kind of just changed. Um, whether through their fault or others. I, I think Yamamoto probably wanted to play on the West Coast the whole time. That's a very, you know, the Japanese players that come over, that tends to be their preference. And uh, so I can't I can't fault the Mets too badly for not getting him. I don't think they could have gotten, I think even with a little bit more money, he, if he wanted to be a Dodger, he wanted to be a Dodger, right? You're not going to, you're not going to beat that. Um, however, you know, with the addition of David Stearns as the president of the baseball operations, the Mets now have somebody in the front office who is very much considered a forward thinker who is sort of at the bleeding edge of analytics today. And so I think there is a chance that the Mets offseason looks really good in six months. 
if some of these moves that that he made that maybe they have data we don't see you know if those moves play off you know it, you know they signed Luis Severino and as a Yankee fan I know you're very familiar with Severino's <laughs> work you know I, I look at that move and say that's probably a disaster but if somehow it's 2017 Severino like that that's a great signing then do I think that's possible? Not really, you know. Um, but you know, but somewhere are, in the middle of the worst pitcher in baseball and one of the best pitchers in baseball is a pretty good move for $10, 12000000 million that he signed for. Right, exactly. So, you know, I, I think that there is a, a case to be made that this is a very conservative offseason on purpose because of the lack of huge free agent class, because of all the dead money on the books this year. I mean, they have so much money owed to players this season. Um you know, and next offseason looks to be a much deeper free agent class. And so if they're looking to go big next next offseason, I understand hanging back a little bit. But after decades of the Wilpons pitching pennies, we got a couple of years of Steve Cohen having no cares about spending as much money as he needs to make this team win. And so to go back to a very conservative offseason just feels a little bit I don't know. I, I guess the nicest way I can say this without sounding like a spoiled brat is that we were told that money wouldn't be an option. And so when money all of a sudden is an option, it just feels unusual. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, they did do a, they did make improvements this offseason incrementally, uh, bench pieces, uh, some lottery tickets. Uh, I like what they've done with their bullpen, actually. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they improved that. I think they've added some good depth there. Um, you know, Edwin Diaz is coming back. That's you know, that's a, a huge move in itself. Um, right. If there was one move that they could have made besides Yamamoto, I mean, we all wanted Yamamoto and uh, Otani. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if there was one move that they you thought you know this makes sense, but they didn't make, uh, was there one of those kind of moves out there? Um, you know, I, I, to me, the big one is a DH, you know, um, they're going to roll the dice with, I think a combination of DJ Stewart and Mark Vientos and maybe, uh, Starling Marte and then rotating in the regular, you know, your Pete Alonzo's, your Jeff McNeil's, et cetera. But I think if they had gone after someone like a Jorge Soler or a GD Martinez, or even a Justin Turner. And none of those are perfect players. And none of those are going to take you from a, an 80 or 83 win team, like some of the projections are saying, to being a 90 win team all of a sudden. But I just think having a, a dedicated bat in that position would really do something for the team. You know, as a National League team, the DH has only really been a part of the, of the calculus for a few years. And the Mets have always tended to go with this rotating batch of people versus having one DH. You know, the closest they got was Daniel Vogelback in 21 and 22, uh, or 22 and 23, I guess it was. Um, yeah. And and Vogelback, you know, I love that guy. Like, he's like a good dude and good sense of humor and all of that. But he was really a, a, a one, a, I guess he has a good eye and has some power, so a two-tool player. But somebody who just wasn't, you know, I think back to some of the DHs that I grew up watching, watching, you know, the Yankees play all these American League teams, you know, Edgar Martinez, 
you know, a guy who was just the most feared bat in the lineup or one of the most feared bats in the lineup. And the Mets have never had that. And so I, I would love to see them go after someone like that. But again, even if they went after J.D. Martinez, who was, I think was probably my top choice of those free agents uh, for the DH role, he's not, he's he wouldn't be the most dangerous bat in the lineup or even the top two or three on the Mets right now. Right. You know, but, but, but I do think... I think if they had signed a DH, I think, let me rephrase that. I think a DH was the most signable piece they needed this offseason. There wasn't an ace out there that wasn't Yamamoto. There wasn't necessarily a an all-star right fielder out there. Um, but I think they could have signed a, a good DH that would have maybe elevated their chances a bit offensively this season. Yeah. Well, I think JD is the only one left at this point. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they'll sign him. Who knows? Maybe they will. Who knows? Yeah. He's got to go somewhere. I can't imagine he stays out there uh, much too much longer. Uh, although there, there are still a lot of free agents left unsigned at this point. But is it just me or is that a, a more like last five years thing we've been seeing? Uh, I mean, the, the one year that stands out to me is definitely the Harper Machado year. They went they came into spring training without a team and signed late uh, with, you know, with the Phillies and the the Padres. But um, I feel like last year, everybody was pretty much in camp and had a place by like beginning of January. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It, it seemed, I mean, and the strike year was completely different, obviously. Right. Right. Um, and the COVID but, year. And the COVID year. So, you know, <laughs> we've had a couple of wacky years in the middle of everything. Yes. Um, so uh, it's hard to tell. And it, it, I know I I was having a conversation with someone about, you know, should it be like the NHL or uh, NBA f- or uh, free agency where everything happens in like a couple of days and it's all over? Um, I like that it's stretched out, but mm-hmm. now it's a little too stretched out. <laughs> yes. Like, I just want people to sign. Like, everyone's got to sign by a certain day. Um, yeah, but I, I wonder know. if you know because there there have been a few players that have held out even until the end of spring training, but I don't think those deals have really worked out that well. Like most of those most of those players that held out didn't have great seasons after that. No, there was a well, a starter did that did something similar to that a few years ago. It's I'm slipping my mind at this time, but and I think he like ended up not pitching till like June first, and then he was awful the whole season. Right. right yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it works out too well for those who wait. I mean, if you get the money, you get the money. But I feel like sometimes those are like end up being one year deals, mm-hmm. um, like a pillow contract, and it doesn't end up working out. So I mean, they may get their money next the following year, but um, it doesn't help their that season and their team that year. So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we see some of those guys get into camp soon because. Uh, I'd like I'd like rosters, you know, I like rosters being set <laughs> and, and do, knowing yeah. who's coming in and things like that. But all right. So 2024 season, what player on the Mets are you most looking forward to watching? The ones that are actually in camp, you know are signed. Yes. Forget, <laughs> whoever um, else is out there. <laughs> I, I have two answers and neither is all that surprising. Okay. Uh, the first one is Kodai Senga. Uh, you know, Senga had a, a fantastic rookie year last year. I think somehow underrated, actually, how good his season was. And, you know, he was he was excellent. But I, I love the way he pitches and 
the transition from Japanese ball to American ball is not always easy for folks. And he and he struggled a little bit down the rather early on in the season with um, workload issues, which again is very common. Going from pitching every sixth day or every seventh day to every fifth day is is a big change. But by the end of the season, Senga was you know adapted to American baseball and also seemed to be just a very fun player to watch. Like you know there was a, I don't know if you saw that there was a they did a Mario Kart tournament on the big screen at City Field that he won. It just seems like he was just a, a, a fun person to watch play. But, I mean, that ghost fork is an incredible pitch. And yeah. I want to see if he can replicate the success, essentially. Um, that's the kind of pitch that if you can – if if hitters don't just lay off of it, you really can't do anything with it. Even if you put it in play, it's just it's, – it's a it, it's a devastating pitch. And so I, I, I want to see him just continue to develop and to, to continue to adapt to American baseball, and that's exciting. My second choice is Edwin Diaz, who, like you said, missed the entire 2023 season. I mean, we have talked in the past about how how his entrance into the game is one of the best entrances in baseball history. Like, the Narco is just a fun song, and the way that the Mets presented it, it's so fun. And going to baseball games in 2022, when the Mets were doing well and Narco would come on the speakers – the place just went nuts, you know, yeah. when Timmy Trumpet was there especially. But, you know, even without Timmy Trumpet, it was just electric. And Diaz's stuff is so, so overpowering and just, you know, I mean, look, you're, you're a Yankees fan. You grew up with the best. You know, you, you had Rivera for all those years. And no one's ever going to be Mo again. But there is a certain joy to an elite closer where you know when they come in the game, game's game's pretty much done. You know, yeah. every now and then something will go wrong, but for the most part, you know, door is shut, game's over. And um, so yeah, I I love pitching, and so watching those two guys pitch is going to be incredible. If I can sneak in a third, it's just that the Mets have not re-signed Pete Alonso yet, so this could be his last year as a Met. I truly don't think that's the case, and I truly hope it's not the case. But to watch that guy mash dingers this season will always be fun, also. Yeah, no, all all good selections. I agree. I I I love watching Kodai Senga, and he just looks like he really got comfortable towards the middle of the year last year. Mm -hmm. He had a good couple starts, then he had some shaky starts, but then he finally kind of settled down and found his groove. and And really, looking at it, going back and looking at his numbers from the end at the end of the year, it it was a a really excellent season he put up uh, for the Mets. So uh, if he can replicate that, you know. Or you know, take the next step. But you know, now that he's got a little more comfort behind him. Uh, that that would be awesome. And yeah, and being in the stadium for Edwin Diaz is just—it's just an event. It's an event in itself. Like yeah. it, you have the game, and that's great, and all the things that go around that. But then just like that three minutes of like him running in is just so electric. And especially you know, towards the end of that 2022 season when they were they were fighting for the. <laughs> Mm -hmm. The NL East, like every game mattered. It, it was intense and just feeling the electricity in there was amazing. Yeah. And uh, I know he's a great comedian, but uh, get lost, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld said that they, that jinxed them. And I don't I don't believe that at all. Nah. Baseball should be fun. Let baseball yeah. be fun. And it's funny because when you mentioned Mariano Rivera, like he came in and with like Enter Sandman, it was a very like, yeah, it had, you know, the the beat to it but like mm -hmm. it was it was more calming like 
Mo would like jog in and you're like, all right, we got this. <laughs> right. Like, right. Edwin Diaz comes running in and you're just like pumped up. You want to just see the, the, the strikes like getting fired in there. Like Mo came in, you're like, all right, we're good. Like I don't, it was definitely a different vibe, but still the security of such a great closer. So. Yeah. I also, I, I want to shout out uh, John DeMarzio, who is the SNY director who produced that whole Diaz entrance they would show on TV with the camera behind him and all of that. And just, you know, even if you weren't there, even watching it on TV was an event. Yeah. With no, no entrance in a baseball game on TV really means that much. So, right. you know, good for them for doing it. I mean, hey, they used to come in in a bullpen cart. So this is a, you know, a, a quite different experience. <laughs> well, when do you think the last bullpen cart was used? They were trying to bring it back. Was it, I think, Arizona? I think yeah, they were yeah, trying yeah. to bring it back, and like a couple people would use it, but um, like fully, it's got to be late 80s. I would, I would think, I don't even think it made it through into the 90s anymore. But uh, I have a memory of the Blue Jays using it late, like being one of the last teams, but I don't know if that's just my memory or not, you know, just a, a false memory. Yeah, I feel like the Reds and the Padres, I don't know why those two stand out to me for some reason. Um, I, I think, I don't know about the Braves, and I don't think the, I think the Braves, because I mean, the Braves were always on TV, so I feel like I might have right. seen it more just because it was on more, but yeah, um, yeah I, I can't, you know, it doesn't have the same effect if Edwin Diaz came out to uh, Narco and had a ride in a, a cart the whole way, and it's just <laughs> like out waving like he's in a, like a pageant or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not the same effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned Pete Alonzo uh, mm -hmm. not being re-signed. What do you think happens? The, is there, are there talks happening? Is it an after the season kind of thing? Does he want to be back? What, what, is, what do you feel happens with Pete Alonzo? I mean, all indications are that he wants to come back and look, you know, we're both New York area guys. There is something about playing in New York and winning in New York that just it's intoxicating. People, people come, people take pay cuts to play for the Mets and Yankees because they want to play in New York. And Alonzo has had a lot of success. You know, he's 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 made it to the playoffs with the Mets. He has, you know, he's bashed so many home runs and just, you know, he he loves being a part of the city. So I think yes, he wants to come back. His agent is now Scott Boris, which means that. They're gonna they're gonna really I think drag this out. I would love to see them do it during the during spring training. Um, it would be a great antidote to a uh, a lackluster postseason uh, off season rather to extend Alonzo and let him play out the rest of his career or at least the next chunk of his career as a Met. Um, you know, there are always examples of people who were. You know the, the predecessors from this. Pete does not seem like a rah-rah type leader the way that David Wright necessarily was. But I think that when you look at your David Wrights, your Derek Jeters, your Chipper Joneses, these guys that just anchor a team for a long time, the fan base really attaches to those players and they mean something to the city. And I think Alonzo has the opportunity to be that guy for New York. Um, I think along with uh, Francisco Lindor, I think the two of them as the faces of this franchise for the next decade is a wonderful thing that Mets fans should all be very excited about. Um, I, I think Alonzo wants to see it happen. I think it ultimately will happen. 
but we're, I'm going to be biting my nails the whole time until it actually does happen because because of Boris. If they had, because he just hired Boris last season. If they yeah. had tried to do this two or three years ago, I think it would have been done already. It, you know, um, but for whatever reason, that didn't happen. So last year he hit 46 home runs. Is he over under 40 this year? Oh, he's over. He would have had over 50 if he didn't hurt his wrist. Um, I, I think he's certainly over 40 this year. I think I think he. I'm gonna say, I'd say 48 home runs is gonna be my my prediction for him. I mean, the last time a slugger in New York was on a walk year, um, he hit 62 home runs. So I don't know if he's got a little extra juice in the bet, not juice bat, but a little uh, extra like incentive right. to hey, let me uh let me hit a few extra dingers this year to uh to make that contract push over a little bit more. But yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, I, look, I think that all you can ask for from Alonzo is a a consistency at the plate. You know, I mean, look, aside, I, I don't have his numbers pulled up in front of me, but aside from the 2020 season, he has been an absolutely elite home run hitter, you know, without any – almost without uh, – parallel in this era in terms of consistency i mean no judge is great and judge is probably the person who i would say the two of them are the most consistent home run hitters of this era but you know you have your, your, your stantons you know uh your sotos those guys don't have the consistency that alonzo has and i i, I just think that it's, it's a special he's a special player he's a special guy he fits in really well in new york he, he's he's important to the community you have to sign that guy you have you have to lock him up you have to do it yeah. So besides, you know, hopefully locking him up and watching watching him chase some, uh, you know, try to hit fifty this year. What would constitute a successful season for the New York Mets? As you said before, they you know they're they're projected to win eighty three. Fangrass has them at eighty wins. Um, so it's not not saying playoffs are out of the question, but what is success, a successful twenty twenty four look like for the Mets? Well, I mean, in in the three wild card team era, I feel like no team is ever really out of it, you know. Um, so I don't want to say playoffs are a success because I think there's a there's a chance the Mets could win 84 games and be in the playoffs. And I don't know if that's I don't know what me success is such a weird thing in baseball right now to begin with. Um, but to me, there's three things I want to see from the Mets this year. Number one is I want to see them not rush the crop of talent they got last offseason, but I also don't want to see them hold on to guys in the minors for no reason. You know, I, I, I want those players to be deployed properly. And when you look at the, the level of offensive talent that they have in the upper minors right now, there's no way all those guys are going to play for the Mets. Some of those guys are going to be trade chips to, to bring in other players. And so um, my number one thing is to make sure that there's a game plan with those young players. That's to me, that is more important than anything else this season because I don't think they're gonna make the World Series this season. I mean, look, prove me wrong, Mets. Please prove me wrong. But you know, the goal should be to effectively manage those players. That's number one. Number two, I want to see them begin to develop some sort of I don't know if this is a Buck Showalter thing or if this is a this is a Billy Epler thing. I just felt like the Mets bullpen had no real format to it. Like 
there wasn't the clear this is your guy you bring in with men on base when the game is absolutely on the line. This is your eighth inning guy. This is the guy who comes in in this situation. And I know that sabermetrics will tell you that you shouldn't have defined bullpen roles uh, because every situation is different. And intellectually, I agree with that. But I feel like the Mets bullpen uses have been so haphazard recently. That I feel there needs to be some sort of structure to that. And I think with that structure there's the underlying issue of the fact that these starters are not going to go deep into games. I mean, Senga did not go very deep a lot last season. Quintana, Severino, these guys are not going to be throwing a ton of innings. And so the Mets bullpen is going to have to be taxed a lot. And so I want there to be a better bullpen plan. Now, those are both very abstract goals. That's not like a win total thing. Yeah. The number one thing I want to see in terms of that is I want this team to be in the hunt without giving up all those players in the farm. You know, if they are five games out of first place around the All-Star break, I don't think they have to trade five prospects to bring in some great player. I really don't think this is their year. And I, mean, I was just I wrote something this morning uh for Amazing Avenue about uh how I'm I'm the world's worst prognosticator. Like in 2015, <laughs> I was like, this isn't a playoff team. And then with the World Series. So, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I just feel like this isn't their year. This is a year where they're they're rebuilding, they're they're doing a lot of work, but it's not necessarily going to be um if they make the playoffs and magic happens, that's awesome. But I don't want them to bet the whole farm on on this season. So going along with managing those players well is not trading away all those players. So I hope that they're in the mix. And I hope that they're, you know, if there's if there's a player or two that gets traded to bring in a, a pitcher, to bring in a right fielder, you know, I, I could be on board with all that. I just don't want them to, I don't want this off, I don't want this season to be the one where we look back on it and say, oh man, if they had only kept Drew Gilbert or, you know, insert other top prospect here, then then things would be so much better now. I just want them to be mad, to be reasonable. Uh, but I also think that with this, with the talent level on this team, with bringing back Diaz, with Alonzo in a walk year, all these things, I think 80, 83 wins is the absolute floor for them. I think that this team does have the talent to bump up from there. I think they're going to have to make some sort of deal at the deadline, probably for a starter. And if they're if, if Diaz is solid and their bullpen works out, there's a, it took a lot of flyers and a lot of interesting guys for that bullpen. But if the bullpen works out, you know, I think they have a chance of making the playoffs, but again, I don't. I would not bet the farm on them this year. <laughs> Unlike I, Buster, only who said he would give up his family farm if I forget who it was signed with the Mets, and then they did, and I called him on another podcast, and he actually had a good sense of humor about it. Uh, <laughs> I forget who the play. Oh, it was I forget who the player was now. It was somebody. He bet the farm they were going to sign with the Mets, and they didn't. Um, it was an outfielder. It'll come to me. He signed with the Blue Jays. George Springer? I think it was Springer. Yeah, I think it was Springer. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going all buster only on you here, but uh, <laughs> I mean, do I sound too pessimistic? No, I said I think you sound pretty optimistic for a Mets fan. I mean, you know, <laughs> most of them, you know, are, are, are down on it after, you know, making all the big moves and, you know, uncle Cohen, uncle Steve making, you know, with all the money, um, you know, I know there were hints of a step back year last year, but 
to actually see it happen and, and to have to now kind of manage expectations. Uh, you know, I, I think that's re- I, I, I think 83, 84 wins is extremely reasonable for this team. They still have a good core. Um, and if things break right and, you know, when you have a solid closer and you don't have to, you don't blow late leads with Adam Adovino and hoping David Robertson can hold, hold it for you. You know, that, that helps, <laughs> it helps a yeah. lot. So, you know, that, I think that's a big difference right there. Just having D if Diaz comes back to be Diaz, that that's like a bunch of extra wins that you can kind of count on. Yeah. Then the, the biggest criticism I have of this offseason I stole from my podcast co-partner, Chris McShane, which is that he said that the, the big sin of this offseason is that you're wasting a year of Lindor, Nimmo, and Alonzo's prime. Yeah. You know, that you only get, you're only going to have these players for so long. You want to maximize their success when they're there. And punting on this offseason gives you one less year with those guys, hopefully, in their prime. But again, I don't know if it's a punt so much. Like, you know, if they spent $100 million on Snell, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know if that really changes the the, pro, the the projection that much. What does it add? Three wins, four wins? Yeah. Maybe. Plus you have to watch Blake Snell pitch every day and I, uh, every five days, and that's <laughs> not for me. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> that's I know someone's like, oh, the Yankees should sign. I'm like, ah, I'm like, you know, you can't walk two guys and then allow, and allow a short porch home run at Yankee Stadium. Right, yeah. That yeah. that that trick gets old pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think you know it's reasonable to to see them, you know, in a wild card chase. Right. And I think that's I think that would be enough to give some hope for the following year with a better free agent class, bringing back Pete Alonso, and um, you know who knows who internationally will be coming over. You know, there's some right. more. Uh, players looking looking to to make the jump to the majors, so you know it, it could be a, a big year. And you know if Uncle Steve wants to to open the checkbook, you know next year might be the year to do it. So uh, you better hope the Yankees extend Juan Soto. Yes, I am. I'm. It is one of the things I'm worried about. I I almost bought a jersey of Juan Soto, and I was like, ah, do I want to commemorate the fact that they traded all these? young players and their pitchers. So, you know, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. So I completely right. understand that. Uh, but, you know, one year of Juan Soto, you know, it will be fun to watch. But I'd like to see like 10 years of Juan Soto at this point. <laughs> so, right. You know, when I'm 54 and I'm like, ah, I remember when they, they traded for him. <laughs> I'd like to have that moment. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's like, you know, if, if they didn't extend Lindor when they traded for him, I would have had such different feelings about that trade, right? Like it's just it's it's when you're when you're throwing out a lot of great prospects, you want to make sure that player sticks around. So yeah, yeah. So it'll be fun to watch. And, Absolutely. Uh, look forward to going some games with you at at City Field and uh, and listening to you on your podcast. Anything anything you want to plug? You want to tell people where they could find you? Uh, I'm kind of off social media now because. Uh, Twitter just got ugly. <laughs> I didn't want to deal with that anymore. Um, but uh, homerunapplesauce.com, we have a, a Patreon for our podcast, which uh, helps us out incredibly. And we throw bonus episodes up and stuff like that. 
I'm also one of the co-owners and co-founders of Fans First Sports Network, where you're hearing this podcast. And so go to uh, fansfirstsports.com. And, uh, you know, we hope that you come out. We're going to do some uh, – you and I are going to do some fun live events this year. And so I hope you guys come out and have a beer with us. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be seeing Brian a lot. Uh, like I said, we've been friends for over 20 years now. And uh, we're, we live close to each uh, – close enough uh, to each other. Um, so we will be doing some things, uh, together, uh, for the no bad hops podcast. So we'll hopefully some live stuff, some events at ballparks or breweries. Uh, so you'll be seeing more of Brian, even though he's a Mets fan and I'm a Yankees fan, we get along just fine. We really, do. It, it, you know, we've never had the teams be really good at the same time, which has no. helped. Um, yeah. <laughs> we weren't friends in 2000. So, uh, no, we were not. So, you know, it worked out well. And uh, you've actually never come to Yankee Stadium, but I think City Field's a much better place to watch a ballpark. I, uh, I, every, game, so. every year I say, this is the year I go to Yankee <laughs> Stadium, and then it never happens. So, yeah, you're, you're not missing anything. But now maybe you want to maybe you want to see the Soto shuffle in person. I, you know, that might be might be the thing. Um, I would like to see that. I would. But, yes. You know, the problem is they have bad beer and, you know, the food isn't as good at Yankee Stadium. Uh, no. Unless we want to buy a suite and then we can maybe get one of those like fancy lobster things. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we 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 worked similar jobs for the last twenty years. We know what our budget is. We can't afford a suite. No, we can't even afford the 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 the, the fancy milkshake with the the giant things hanging off of it. So, <laughs> um, but hey, no, who can at Yankee Stadium really? Uh, I'm a I'm a bucket of uh, chicken chicken fingers at Yankee Stadium for like twenty five bucks. Yeah. Uh, but I, before we go, I, I did want to ask you, what is your beer of choice at City Field? Because there's a lot of options, although the options keep changing. But like, do you have a go to at City Field? Ah, uh, it, it's been. I don't even know. Every time I go there, I feel like it's a different selection. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I feel bad. I feel bad saying this, but I feel like the selection has gotten gone down. It has. Objectively, uh, there yeah. was the Empire. We talk about this a lot. The Empire State uh, craft craft yeah. kiosk. Mm-hmm. You know, you used to walk up to that, and they'd be like, "Oh, we have Equilibrium today," <laughs> um, or you know, something that you couldn't find anywhere else. I think they had Single Cut for a little while. They did, they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, the options were always good, but that kiosk is no longer a thing. So um, getting ebbs in the stadium is always good. They have solid options. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I don't even know if I have a, a go-to beer at City Field anymore. I, have to, I don't anymore it. either. It, it's a bummer because it used to be for a while they had McKellar not at the Empire State Crafts place, but also just other places in the stadium you'd get some McKellar. Yeah. And that was always an easy choice. Yeah. Right. And it was uh it was great. But you know, it is still better beer than a lot of other ballparks, although not nearly as good as like um when I was at Petco Park, I liked the beer a lot. When I was at PNC Park this past summer, they really upped their beer game. You know, there, there's a lot of great stadiums with great beer. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely I ha- I have my my beer ranking and uh, Yankee Stadium is the worst. So, you know, that's why we probably never go there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, Brian, thanks for joining us today. And, uh, you know, we'll, we look forward to following the Mets and seeing what they do and uh, talking to you again very soon. My pleasure. Always, always, always fun to talk baseball. Awesome. And uh, we'll have more of the season preview episodes coming along to you. So keep looking out for them. And uh, if anybody is a fan of a team, wants to join, wants to grab a beer and have a conversation about who they're looking forward to and what they expect of their team this year, uh, just 
you could shout me out on um, Instagram at at Major League Brews. Uh, you can follow along and see what I'm drinking and, and what, what's going on in baseball. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you soon.